0: Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to have you uh, with us today. Thanks for coming to church. I, never, I don't really like to say thanks for watching church because really it's when we come together, whether we're in a building together or we're watching together in our homes, we are the church. We know, you know, it's not a building, it's a people. And so when we come together, when you comment and share, that's that's us as the church getting together. It's the church being what the church is supposed to be with each other, encouraging, helping, sharing, and loving each other the way that Jesus loved us. And so we are talking about peace. We're sowing into peace. That's what, what we've been doing the last few weeks and really that idea is that God wants to produce something in us that we couldn't produce on our own. Even in a circumstance or a situation that seems bleak for us is that God still wants to give us a peace that really surpasses all comprehension. That people look at your life and they see what you're going through. They see see what you're dealing with and they they see the, the, the sort of the hand that was dealt and that you still have a peace is only from God. It's a supernatural thing that God wants to do in and through you in in, in every situation. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus mentioned it. this idea of peace. He says in John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And so Jesus is just declaring, I have a peace that I have to give to you. That the world can 't give, and, and certainly right now the world isn 't really given a whole lot that, that uh, we think will give us peace, the world isn 't really able to provide for us what we, where we think that our sort of our peace and our and our calmness and our serenity c- comes from, and Jesus said, "The world will never be able to give that to you, but what, what I can do is I can give you my peace, but not as the world gives, I give to you. Do not let your heart." Be troubled. He's reminding us, like, even in a time where uh, you, you it's natural and normal to feel like, man, it's, it, this feels troubling. Uh, he says, don't let your heart, don't let your heart be troubled. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. He says, nor let it be fearful. And we're going to talk about that, too, in a few minutes. That our, our fear needs to be directed somewhere else. So where we're at in the story, we've been talking about um, the Babylon boys is what we've been talking about. Uh, we've been looking at guys like Daniel. Meshel, Azariah, Hananiah. We've been looking at these guys. You may know those guys as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's not really probably what they wanted to be known for. They wanted to be known for the names that were given that gave them identity and who they are. And who they were in in, in the relationship that they had with the Almighty God. And so where we are in the story, years and years have have gone by. Daniel's probably in his 80s, if you can imagine that. He's probably in his late 80s at this time. And in this time in in history, uh, what Daniel predicted happened. Daniel, Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar this, this dream or to, interpreted this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and it looked something like this and he talked about how these different uh, types of minerals and these different types of you know, elements are, represent a different empire a different nation that was going to come in and he told King Nebuchadnezzar that yours is the head of gold and that literally went to the head of Nebuchadnezzar and he uh, out of his pride created a whole image and statue of himself and you were with us last week, you saw that and so Nebuchadnezzar 's kingdom was overtaken now at this point in history by the by the persians and and just as Daniel predicted this is what would w- happen and so at this time King Darius is now king and he 's establishing himself in his within his his kingdom and his empire in the world which is right here and and he 's establishing himself in that way and it says that he set up one hundred and twenty uh, satraps is what the scripture calls them, but they, we probably know them as maybe like governors, different 120 different governors in the province, in the regions of, of, of the land, of the whole empire of the, that, that now are occupied and, and ruled by the Persians. And he establishes them. And then within those 120, he he placed three three people that were in charge of the, the 120 governors. And they, they were sort of like these vice regents. Well, Daniel was one of those three. In his late 80s, you know, he the scripture describes him as somebody that had just this extraordinary spirit about him, this incredible wisdom, and this incredible intelligence, that Daniel just kept rising up the ladder. Uh, and, and Daniel was, was now in charge of uh, these 120 governors and he's now, and even it tells us that Daniel was even over all of the, even the three, the vice regents. He was sort of the, you know, the second in command of of King Darius. Daniel's sort of this vice King, if you will, and so Daniel in this situation, and as you can imagine, here is this just Jewish man uh, who is now over in in charge of all all this, you know, all these people, these great people, and they're now becoming jealous of Daniel, and so they decide that they're going to come up with a decree that they're going to sort of you know figure out how to remove Daniel out of his position. And so it's typical politics, right? And so they decide that they're going to try to find some skeletons in his closet. They're going to try to find some sort of scandal in his life that they can remove him from his position. But the scripture tells us that they were unable to find anything. As a matter of fact, it tells us that in Daniel 6, 4, it says, Then the commissioners and satraps, these governors, began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs, but they could not find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, this guy was a politician, and they could find no scandal in his life, no corruption in his life whatsoever. They they had no evidence of corruption. And as much as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption would, would be found in him, this is the kind of character that Daniel had. This is the kind of integrity Daniel had, even in the midst of, and this is so important for you to remember, even in the midst of the fact that he was taken from his home, separated from his his family. His city was in ruins. His temple was destroyed. And he's now in this foreign land and really spent the majority of his life because he was taken when he was a teenager. Now he's in his 80s, spent the majority of his life in this land. Yet there was no negligence. There was no corruption in Daniel's life. What a testimony of a life of integrity. And then it says this. So they now have to figure out a way to eliminate Daniel from from this. And so then they these men said, "We will not find any grounds of accusation against this Daniel unless, look at this, we find it against him with regards to the law of his God." So now they have to sort of shift gears they're going, "Listen, we're not going to find anything when it comes to his integrity, but not but we have to figure out a way To trip him up or to get him to break a law when it comes to his laws of his. God, And so that's what they decide to do. So they go to King Darius and they say, King Darius, you need to establish yourself in this new kingdom that you've overtaken. You need to assert your authority here. And so here's what we think that you should do. We think, King Darius, that you should write a decree that for 30 days, no one bows or no one worships or no one prays to any other God other than you, Darius. Because at that time, kings were viewed as deities. And so they decided, hey, listen, let's just... Let's see if we can trip him up and trap him in this way. And so they, so they get the king to sign that decree that no one would pray to any other god for 30 days unless it was, they would bow down to King Darius. And he agrees to that because he was a king and he was full of pride and he wanted to establish his authority, and so he agreed to that. But he had a great relationship with Daniel. He, right off the bat, established just an amazing, incredible relationship. He valued Daniel. He loved Daniel. He, he understood that his empire and his kingdom would be, would be better with Daniel around. And so Daniel knows what happened. So it tells us now that in verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So Daniel said, listen, he, Daniel had to make a decision. Just like last week with the with the you know the three boys, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to make a decision. We're either going to, you know, sort of conform to what they want me to do. Or we're going to sort of like, you know, maybe make a decision in our mind, but really not bend our heart. We're going to bend our knees, but not our heart. We're going to compromise while well, everybody else is doing it. I need to kind of follow the line, you know, you know, I'm better off being a, you know, a vice regent or a vice you know, to the king. You know, than, than I am at being. You know, eaten up by by lions and a lion's dead because that's essentially what was going to happen. That Daniel, if they didn't anybody that didn't follow that law, that that they were going to be thrown into a pit of lions. And so Daniel decides, listen, I'm still going to honor my God. I realize that God is my judge. God is in control. That God is in authority here. And whatever happens, happens. And so Daniel decides that he's still going to go and he's going to do what he's always done previously. That He's going to go to his house. He's going to go up to the roof of his house. He's going to open his windows towards Jerusalem and he's going to pray. He's going to get on his knees and he's going to pray three times a day because that that's what they did three times a day, giving thanks before his God as he's always done in his life before. Regardless of the circumstance, he continued to pray. Regardless when, it, when things looked bad for him or how it was going to turn out for him, he was going to continue to pray. And that's what he did. Now, why, was he, why would he open his window towards Jerusalem? Well, Daniel knew that there was a promise. Daniel knew of a promise that that, 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 they, that was established way back when King Solomon built the, the temple in Jerusalem. And Daniel knew that when he prayed, that regardless of where he was and anywhere in the world, and this was a promise for all of God's people, wherever they were, if they couldn't be in Jerusalem, if they couldn't be in around the temple, that wherever they were, that God was going to hear their prayers. And this, and this was a promise that was established by Solomon. It says this in, in 1 Kings 8, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? This is Solomon talking. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even Solomon can't wrap his mind. He says, behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. "'How much less this house which I have built.'" So Solomon's talking about this temple that he built for God, for the presence of God, but even Solomon knew that God was too big for this, that God was too big to be contained to a building, that God was too big to be contained to a place. And so then he goes on to say this in verse 30. Listen to the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place, hear in heaven, your dwelling place. Hear and forgive. Daniel was praying towards Jerusalem. Why? Because it was a promise established by God hundreds of years prior to that that said, listen, wherever you're scattered, wherever you're at in the world, that you can pray towards Jerusalem and you can know, you can know without a doubt that God hears your prayers in heaven. That even though you're not at a place in a city, that even though you're not in a building where you normally pray that that wherever you are at in the world that God still hears you and this is what Daniel is is understanding Daniel is in his on his roof windows open praying to his God and putting his trust in his faith in a God who hears his prayers even though he is in a situation that he wouldn't want to be in and either would you Back to Daniel, says this. Then these men came. These who are these men? These men were the men that came and had the King Darius sign a decree that no one would bow to any other god or any other deity unless it was King Darius. And if they did, they would be cast into this den of, of lions. And so then these men came by agreement and found Daniel. They found Daniel, making petition and supplication before. His God. Now there's two things that you see that Daniel did and, and, and I wanna just spend a few minutes on these two things when it comes to Daniel's prayer life. When it comes to Daniel's prayer life, two things that he did. Daniel had incredible character and incredible te- integrity because he had an amazing, incredible prayer life and he did two things. He prayed with supplication and thanksgiving. Supplication and thanksgiving. So here's here's what... Daniel teaches us people who react to trials with prayers of supplication with thanksgiving, they get peace. People who pray, who react to trials with prayers of supplication with thanksgiving, they're the ones that get peace peace Daniel had a peace and a resolve about him that he didn't concern himself with what anybody else thought there was this peace in his life that he knew that God was good on his promises that God hears his prayers and what, what God decided to do with his prayers was up to God and it wasn't up to Daniel that Daniel's prayers weren't about bending you know you know God's wills toward towards him that Daniel knew that prayer was about God or for about Daniel bending his will towards God and that's exactly what our prayer life should be and Daniel's prayers were prayers of supplication with gratitude supplication with thanksgiving and that's what gave him peace that's what gave him peace what's amazing is the apostle Paul wrote this same idea to this church in Philippi And the Apostle Paul told them, this is exactly the formula that you need in order for you to have this kind of peace. Look what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Philippi. He says this, he says, be anxious for nothing. I mean, can you imagine the the audacity of that statement, right? I mean, can you imagine you telling somebody, you know, hey, just be anxious for nothing. Like, what? You You don't know my kids, you don't know my financial. Ish situation you don't know what's going on in my marriage You're like don't tell me like I'm I'm getting ready to maybe get laid off I'm, I might lose my job I mean all of these things that are heavy on us and here's the apostle Paul coming up coming with us with this statement that says you need to be anxious for nothing you need to be anxious for nothing but instead look what he says but and so in other words instead of being anxious here's what Paul tells us to do but in everything by prayer in supplication, I know, you, 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 this is how you talk. You, when you go to prayer, you're like, I'm going to go supplicate right now. Like, I don't even know if that's even a word. But you're, I know that's not how, how we talk, but I, I'll give you the definition. But he says, listen, when you go and pray, I want you to pray in, in supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be, na- made, be made known to God. Okay, so what does supplication mean? Here's what supplication means. Asking something from God humbly. That's what, he, that's what it is. It's just simply asking help from God with humility. Asking something from God humbly. This is what he's, he's telling us. Now, Peter also mentions this. And look what Peter says. Peter says it this way. Therefore, humble yourself. He says, I want you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Peter's going, listen, listen, listen. When you approach God, you need to approach God with a sense of humility, that you're putting yourself under the king of kings. I mean, for them to approach King Darius would have been terrifying. It would have been, they would have been so scared to approach King Darius with any request. And Peter's telling us and even Paul would tell us that we need to come to God with humility, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. Not the world won't exalt you, not your, your career path won't exalt you, not somebody, somebody that you think is important will exalt you. No, 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 no. The only one that exalts you is God and he'll do it in his timing. And so Peter says this and then he, then he says in verse seven, Casting all your anxiety on him. Casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Peter's going, listen, listen. When you approach God in prayer, listen, you need to understand something. You need to approach God with supplication. You need to approach God with something that you have, but yet with humility. Yet with humility. It's it's putting yourself under the mighty hand of God, and then when you put yourself under the mighty hand of God with humility, then you can cast your anxiety. I love this because Peter was a fisherman, right? And Peter is thinking in this, in these ways, in this analogy, in this metaphor. He's thinking about you know casting his net out into the water and bringing in a haul of fish. This is what Peter's thinking about, and he's imagining his his past life as a fisherman, casting that net out into the ocean or out into the water, bringing in this fish, and Peter's thinking to himself, this is exactly what I want people to understand. You're putting yourself under the mighty hand of God with humility, but then you're like a net casting it out. So Peter's thinking this, like this, like a net into an ocean full of fish are my anxieties into an ocean full of his grace. Peter's going, come on, Paul's saying, you you, you need to know that instead of having anxiety, you need to replace that anxiety with prayer. And when you pray, it's praying with supplication, which means you're approaching the mighty hand of God, the all-powerful creator, the God of the universe who put breath into all of existence who put breath in your lungs who woke you up today only because of his grace and only because of his kindness and in that God you approach with humility and you humble yourself but yet he's a loving heavenly father who says you can cast your anxieties on him because of his fullness of his grace and his love for you. And so Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In other words, coming to God with humility, coming to God. And and, and this idea also, this idea is about being persistent too. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was teaching about prayer, he gave an example of, of, uh, he gave an an illustration, a parable of what what we call the persistent widow. And the, this persistent widow came to this, what was described to this as this unrighteous judge. And he was Jesus described this unrighteous judge as somebody who didn't like people and he didn't like God. I mean, can you imagine dealing with that kind of person? A person that doesn't like people and doesn't like God. I mean, that's a hard person to deal with. And so Jesus is giving this this story of this widow who's approaching this judge who doesn't like people, who doesn't have any regard for God at all. And she's pleading with this unrighteous judge to deal with a legal issue that she was dealing with in, in, in her day that she just didn't want to deal with. She's lost her husband, you know, she was now getting ready to lose her her home and her possessions, and she's pleading with this judge. And, she, and the judge keeps saying no, keeps saying no, keeps saying no, deal with it, deal with it. You know, because he doesn't like people and he doesn't have any regard for God. And she keeps persisting. She keeps persisting. She keeps persisting. And finally, according to Jesus's story of the persistent widow, the unrighteous judge finally relents and gives her what she's asking for. And Jesus makes the point in that parable. And he says, just like eventually an unrighteous judge will give in and will say yes that a how much more will a loving righteous judge answer your prayers and give you what you ask for this is what Jesus is trying to help us understand when it comes to supplication it's coming to him under his mighty hand with humility but yet it's continually being persistent it's continually being persistent. I don't know about you, but I'm at home these days and I'm like recess coordinator and I am gym teacher all at once. Man, and I get my kids constantly asking me, "Dad, can we can we go do this? Dad, can we can we go do that? Dad, can we play? Dad, can we play?" And, you know, finally I'm just like after a while I'm like, "Fine, you know, we'll do it." Like I don't want to, but let's go, you know, let's go, you know, rollerblade or ro- go play you know, basketball or whatever the case is. And like, finally, it's like, they give in. Like, I'm an imperfect father, but eventually I love my kids so much that I wanna do for them what they're asking for them. How much more will a perfect father, a loving heavenly father want to do for you when we're persistent? And this is what Daniel is praying. Daniel is praying with persistence. Three times a day, it says. Three times a day, he's praying, believing that God is faithful, that God is trustworthy, And God is good on his promises. And and it came to God with humility. It's coming to God with humility and saying, God, you're in control and I'm not. God, you're the righteous judge. You're the righteous judge. And that's what he's telling us. And so he's saying, listen, Peter's saying, cast all your cares on him. Paul's saying, when you come to him, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Then look what he says, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. And so Daniel came. It says that Daniel had gave thanks. He was giving thanks. And then also it also says that he was praying with supplication. So, but Daniel was doing this, this idea of what Paul is talking about here. He's like, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Daniel's saying, with giving thanks. I mean, what, what would Daniel have to give thanks for? I mean, if you think about Daniel's situation and the, and the other boys from Babylon, what would they have to give thanks for? Ripped from their homes, taken from their families, you know, separated from what they know, and now living in this foreign country, I mean, if, if anything, they shouldn't have been th- giving thanks for anything. They should have been grateful for anything. But yet they were still giving thanks. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you want the peace of God? The peace of God comes with prayer. The peace of God comes with prayer, with coming to God with humility. It's coming to God with, with gratitude. Thanksgiving is simply that. It's giving gratitude to God for his generosity. That's what Thanksgiving is. It's coming to God in our prayers and saying, God, God, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing and how you're working and, 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 and what you're doing in my life and all the good things that I recognize in my life. I mean, this is what Daniel did. And this is what Paul's encouraging us to do. He's saying, listen, go to God with supplication, with Thanksgiving. Give gratitude for, to God for his generosity. The other day, we we're out in the yard doing some work, and my girls came out and asked if they could they could help, which shocked me. And so they were out that working. We were out working, and I was just so blessed that they were out there working and helped me, you know, with some things out in the yard. And I told them, I said, "Listen, I'll, I'll go. I'll get you. I'll get you guys some Slurpees just for helping me out. I'll go. I'll go to Seven Eleven, and I'll get you guys some some Slurpees." And they were like, "Yeah, this is. Oh man, I'm, we're so glad that we came out and helped." And so my boys who are the lazy ones, they're watching, they're the lazy ones, they're, they were uh, heard, that the rumor now got out that dad was gonna go get Slurpees. And so my boys start come running out of the house and they start helping in the yard with doing some yard work. And we get all done, we finally get all done, and I'm like, okay, what do you guys want? You know, and I'm taking their Slurpee orders. And then one of my, my daughters goes, dad, you're getting them Slurpees? They only helped for like a few minutes. You're getting them a Slurpee? I thought you were just going to get us a Slurpee. Why are you getting them a Slurpee? We've been out here for like hours, and they've been out here for like minutes. Why are you getting them a Slurpee? And I said, wait a minute. I said, time out, time out. Why are you griping about my generosity? Why are you griping? I said you don't need to concern yourself about my generosity. If I decide that I'm going to get your brother Slurpees, and, and, and that's the same, and they're, and they're like going, well, maybe we could get a bigger size than them. Maybe that, maybe I, we'll get a large and they'll get a small, you know. And they're starting to debate. I said, I said, listen, stop griping about my generosity. Stop complaining about what I choose to decide to give. My, my money too, that's not your business. That's not up to you. Listen, all of us are so good at griping about what we don't get and what other people get. All of us are so good at complaining about what we don't have and what other people have. All of us are so good at coming to God and saying, God, this is not fair. I've done this and they haven't done enough. I've done these things and they haven't done enough. All of us, listen, we should never ever gripe and complain about God's generosity, and I told my, my girls, I said, listen, instead of griping, you need to be grateful that you get one, too. Instead of griping, you need to, you need to be grateful that I'm going to provide one for you, too. Listen, this is the same approach when it comes to our relationship with God. Instead of griping about what we don't have, we should be grateful For what God has done for us and the generosity that God has exhibited to every single one of us. So, what should we be grateful for? I mean, I'll just give you some examples. I don't know. Maybe these things we should be grateful for. Maybe we should be grateful for just like with these guys. I've been going through these guys and what these names mean, right? Maybe these are the things that we should be grateful for. That God is my judge, not anybody else, not anything else, nothing else. God is my judge. He's in control of my situation and I trust Him with that. That's something that you should be grateful for. That God is a righteous judge and being a righteous judge, God is gonna come. And he's going to make everything right that's wrong. Everything everything that's wrong in this world, he's going to make right. That's what God is going to do. Or maybe you should be grateful for the fact that the Lord shows you grace. God shows you unmerited favor every single day. Everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you possess is God's. The reason why you have it is because God allowed you to have it. That's His grace and you and I always need to be grateful for His grace. Or maybe you need to be grateful for the fact that there is no one like our God. No one can compare to God. No one is God's rival. Nothing can compare. Nothing in this world can give you what our God can give you. Nothing in this world can provide for you the way that our God can provide for you. Nothing in this world can deliver for you the way that our God delivers for you. There is no one like our God. Maybe you should just go to God and say, God, thank you for just being unique. Thank you for just being amazing. Thank you for just being incredible. Thank you for just being you. Thank you for allowing me to have a relationship with you, a righteous judge who loves me, and I can cast all my anxieties on you because you care for me. Maybe that's you and I coming to a God to say, God, you're in control and I'm not. God, there's no one like you. Or maybe you should come to God in a, with a heart of gratitude that says, Lord, you are my help. God, I need help today. God, I know that you are my help. God, I can go and I'm gonna, I can find all the help that I can get anywhere, but this is not going to compare to the help that you provide to me on a day-to-day basis. Basis From the smallest of things to the biggest of things, God, I know that you care and that you're listening and that you hear me when I pray to you and I'm praying to you with a heart of humility and I'm putting myself under your mighty hand knowing that you are all powerful in control, but yet I'm casting all my cares on you because you're the judge, because you show grace and because there's no one like you And you help in time of need. Boy, those are some things I think all of us should be grateful for. Those are some things that we should come to God and say, God, I'm not gonna gripe about what I don't have, what I can't get, and what I can't achieve. I'm not gonna gripe about that. I'm only gonna be grateful for what you do and how you work in my life and in my family's life and in all the people in this world, that you are a God who shows grace. No one is like you, God. Back to the story. So then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and he was cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, as Daniel's being lowered down into this lion's den, the king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve himself will deliver you, right? I mean, he's almost like y- y- your God is gonna come deliver you, right? Because Darius, he loved Daniel and he didn't want to do this, but he was trapped and he couldn't go back on it. This, this decree was unconditional. There was nothing could change. And even though he tried to change it, nothing would change. And yet he sort of yells out as Daniel's being dropped down into this den of lions, your God whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. And then it says this, then the king went off to his palace and spent the night Fasting and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. I mean, this is think about this. Here's this king in this new kingdom. He's the most powerful man in the world. He's the most powerful man in the known world, and he has to drop one of somebody that one of his you know leading you know officials into this den of lions, and he's in his palace, mind you, he's in a palace. And he's fasting; he can't eat, and there's no entertainment brought to him, and he can't sleep. Why? Because he's in agony over what's happening. He's 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 angst. He's in angst over what just took place. He he can't he can't even deal with this. This, this, this is amazing. Look at it. Daniel Daniel was at peace in the lion's pit, while Darius was filled with panic in his palace. I mean, this is the this is what Jesus was talking about. My peace that I give you, that even when you're in a lion's pit, you can have peace. My peace. What the world gives you in a palace, like all the food that you want, all the entertainment that you want, all the sleep that you want, all the things that, that the world says, listen, you need more of. You need more entertainment. You need more sleep. You need more food. You need better food. All the things that the world can give, yet this guy was still in panic over it. But Daniel, no, he had peace. He had peace. And Paul says it this way remember, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And look, then look what Dan, uh, Paul says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, and the peace of God. How incomprehensible was Daniel's peace? How incomprehensible. He's being lowered into a pit of lions and he has incredible peace as he's being lowered down and the king is in full panic mode. The king has full-on anxiety in his palace and what he's seeing is what Paul's describing, a peace that surpasses all comprehension. I mean, have you seen this piece before? Have you seen it? I have. I've seen peace when I've sat down with people who have been diagnosed with cancer and they hear the grim news and the doctors tell them there's nothing more that we can do and they probably have such and such amount of time to live and get your affairs in order. I've sat down with people and I've got to tell you, the best, messages of God and the best, the most amplified sermons of God are just to hear those people say, God's got this. God's got me. I'm at peace with whatever God wants to do. I remember sitting down with one particular lady and she was just ravaged by cancer and she just had literally days to live. And I I remember just holding her hand by her bedside and praying with her. And she's just telling me that I'm just at such peace. I know that I'm going home. I know that I'm going home. And she's saying to me, but my husband, I don't know where his relationship is with Jesus. And I just pray, my prayer is, is that through this circumstance, through this circumstance, that my husband comes to know Jesus personally, that he can find the peace that is, surpasses all comprehension. That's what she said to me. And that to me was like everything. That to me was the peace that God has to offer to every one of us. Even in the last moments of her life, all she could think about was the peace that, she, that God could provide for her husband. And I just gotta tell you, that's the kind of peace that he gives to all of us here. And what that peace will do, man, I'm telling you, look what that peace will do. It's, it surpasses all comprehension. That peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is so important for us. I'm telling you, you need to tune in right now. Listen, listen, listen. This is so important. This is the peace that guards what Jesus would say is the most important thing that we have in our earthly lives. It's our hearts and our minds. And Jesus, and for the scriptures. And for Jesus, this, these two things were worked hand in hand. They were almost synonymous. Hearts and our minds, they, were, they worked hand in hand with each other. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a few verses quickly. He says, for as he thinks within his heart, so he is. So Solomon says, as he thinks in his heart, so he is. And so this is how important this idea is, this idea of our hearts and our minds. Jesus said to a group of guys, he says, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil In your hearts, again, these ideas come together. These ideas are together, this idea of our hearts and our minds and what peace of God will do. It will guard our hearts and our minds. And here's the point here. People who emotionally react to trials with right thinking, they get peace. People who emotionally react to trials with right thinking, they get peace. Daniel reacted to his trial with right thinking and what Daniel got was peace. Why? Because Solomon said this. Watch over your heart with all diligence. From from it flow the springs of life. You gotta guard Solomon saying, You gotta guard your heart. You gotta guard your heart. You gotta watch over it. Why? Because out of it flow the springs or the all of the issues of life. Jesus is saying, I don't think you're getting this. So Jesus said to them, Are you still lacking understanding also? Jesus said, This is so important for you to understand what the peace of God can and and will do for you. He says, are you still lacking in understanding also? He says, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated, To, to which I say, gross, Jesus. Verse 18, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from, look what he says, the heart, and those defile the man. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? Jesus would then say this, for out of the heart come Evil thoughts. Jesus said, listen, listen. these two are hand in hand. Heart, mind, hand in hand. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Well, what kind of evil thoughts? Jesus, and he elaborates even more. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Those are the things. Jesus is saying, listen, it's so important that you have my peace. Because what my peace will do, that, surpasses all comprehension, it will guard something in you that you need guarded more than anything. It will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. It will protect your heart and it will protect your thought life. It will guard your emotions and it will guard your thinking. This is what Jesus is telling us what the peace of God will do. And you and I need that more than anything because what Jesus is saying is this, is that everything that comes out of our mouth and all of our actions, start in one place. They start in the heart and then they move into a thought and then they move into action. You and I need to have the peace of God. Why? Because it guards the thing that is most important, our hearts and our thoughts, our emotions and our thinking. And those things eventually lead to action. According to Jesus, they can lead to terrible things like murder. It's all the way down to even just slander. So, are you anxious? Are you anxious? There's a remedy for that. Daniel knew it. Paul knew it. Peter knew it. And certainly Jesus Understood it, and the remedy is pray. That's the remedy: pray, pray with humility and thanksgiving. Humility, God, I'm put coming under your hand, under your control, and I'm approaching you with a heart of gratitude, not of gripe. And when you have that, I'm telling you, you're going to do that. You're, you're going to have a peace. You're going to have a peace that is incomprehensible. People are going to look at your life and go, wow, how are they going through what they're going through, dealing with what they're dealing with, even after they've been diagnosed with what they've been diagnosed with, even as they're being lowered down into a lion's pit, they still have peace. And what that peace will do will protect the very thing that the enemy is coming after. He's coming after your heart and he's coming after your thought life. And I gotta tell you, I believe that God sent an angel to protect Daniel from those lions, but I also believe that God gave Daniel a peace to protect him from his heart and his thinking. Because if anybody would have thought about being bitter, if anybody would have thought about being resentful, if anybody would have been ungrateful, it would have been Daniel. But instead, he had a peace that only came from God. And that peace guarded his heart and it guarded his thought life. And therefore, his actions were God, you're faithful. God, you're trustworthy. God, my heart and my mind and my soul are yours. They're yours. And that's what they protect. That's what the peace of God protects and that's what it needs to protect in you. And you need to have, you need to watch over your heart because out of it flow the issues of life. And once it resides in your heart, it begins to move into your thought life and then it eventually becomes an action. So the next morning, back to the story. The next morning, the king wakes up or doesn't really sleep. He gets to back to the you know the pit of lions as quick as he can. It says that he made haste to the lion's den and he yells down, "Daniel, Daniel, was your God able to deliver you from the mouths of the lions?" And Daniel speaks. He says, "Yeah." My God sent an angel, protected me. But what he could have said was, but he also sent me peace that also guarded me. It guarded my heart and it guarded my mind. And the king says, Bring him out, bring him out, bring him out of that pit because Daniel's God delivered him. And then the king decides, I'm going to write a new decree. And this is so important. This is so important. He says, I'm going to write a new decree. And he sent this out to all the land. It says this. He says, Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land Listen, may your peace abound. In other words, may your peace multiply, knowing that God is faithful. Look what he says. He goes, He says this. I make a decree that in all the dominions of my kingdom, men are to fear and to tremble before the God of Daniel. Your fear and your trembling shouldn't be anywhere other than to the almighty God, according to his decree. And he goes on to say this. He says, before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he is enduring forever The God that we serve is not dead. The God that we serve is not wiped off. The the God that we serve is living. The God that we serve is enduring. The God that we serve is forever. The God that we serve is is the Alpha, and he's the Omega. He's the beginning, and he's the end. He was here long before us, and he's gonna continue to be here long after us. He's the living God that we serve. And he goes on to say this. In his kingdom... His kingdom, not my kingdom, not your kingdom, his kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He goes on, he says, he delivers and rescues and performs wonders and signs in heaven and on earth. And he is the one who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Boy, I gotta tell you, if there isn't anything that you can't think about when you come to prayer life, I mean, read this. Read Daniel 6, 25 to 27. When you come to God to say, God, this is who you are. God, this is who I recognize who you are. This is the decree that was sent out, and this is the decree for all of us. Because for you and for me, it could read this way. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And for us, who has also delivered you from the power of the grave this is what we put our faith in. And when we do that, I'm telling you, we get the peace, his peace, his peace. And that peace guards your heart and it guards your mind, knowing that he's the God who delivers and he's the God who rescues and he's the God that performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he's the one that has delivered you from the power of the grave. Why? Because he's a living God. And his kingdom is forever. So before I pray, I just want to encourage you to do this. To take the next few minutes, whether it's you personally, whether you're with your spouse, whether you're with your family sitting and watching us. I want you to go to our website and I want you to just click on the reflection questions. And I want you to take this opportunity just for a few minutes if you have it, take this opportunity into just to go through a few questions. We can go through a couple of them or all of them, whatever you wanna do, but just take a few minutes and discuss. But I just want you to know that there's a peace that God has for every single one of us. And that means for us that this content can be applied to your life. And when you apply this to your life, that's when you'll have that peace that surpasses all comprehension. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word, we thank you for these Babylon boys who taught us so much about peace in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the challenges of this life. And I just pray God that we know that we can come to you, come to you now, and we can ask for help in a humble spirit. And that we also come to you and we're so grateful We're grateful that you help us and we're grateful that you give us grace and we're grateful that we can come to you, that nothing else in this world compares to you. We're so grateful for all that you provide and all that you do in our lives. And Father, we know with that, we know that comes the peace, a peace that surpasses all comprehension and it's a peace that guards our hearts from feeling, believing something that isn't true, and our thought life from thinking about things that we shouldn't think about, things that will ultimately lead to an action that will ultimately hurt ourselves and hurt you. So Father, I just pray, Lord, that that's what we're longing for and striving for, and that as we look at this story, we look at the decree that was sent out, and we we know that if there's anything that we are to be fearful of, it's to be reverence and fear to you. That's what you deserve and that's what you've earned by delivering and rescuing us from the hold of sin and death. We thank you for that. We thank you for that rescue in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks for watching today. Hopefully, hopefully you spent some time on those reflection questions. We'll see you next week.